Father TJ, thank you for having us here at St. Martha. Thank you. Welcome. Glad you're here. And glad that you're able to make some time for us and, you know, be so accommodating. Now, St. Martha, it's a pretty long name for a parish, right? That's correct. What's the full name of the parish? Our full name is Saints Martha Mary Lazarus, Friends of Jesus Catholic Church. St. Martha, Mary, Mary, and Lazarus. Lazarus, Yes. Friends of Jesus Catholic Church. That's correct. And we are in, well, currently we're in Porter, Texas, but we claim to be from Kingwood. Okay. Because the county line is just right outside the road there. Okay. Okay. And how long have you been here? I have been here. Uh, this is, I'm starting my fifth as year pastor. now. Fifth year fifth as year. pastor. I started in July of 2018. Okay. So, so I finished four full years. So the name of the, the parish is pretty long, but your name's pretty short, huh? Father T.J. Dolce. Yes, sir. T.J., what does that stand for? Um, it stands for Thomas Joseph. Okay. But when I'm really feeling adventurous, I tell people it's, uh stands for Tochukujeku, which is my Ibu name. Oh. Which means praise to the God who blesses us. Oh, that's awesome. So I had some classmates from seminary that were Ibu, and I asked them, if, if I was TJ in Ibu, what would it be? So Father Tochuku. That's cool. But Thomas Joseph, but I've gone by TJ my whole life. Did you grow up here in Houston? I did. Grew up in the northwest part of town. So I went to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton growing up, uh, and then moved out, worked at St. Javiani for a bit before I went to seminary. But I am Houston through and through. I am... Did you go to Catholic school or through the public school system? I went through the public school system. I was at Fair School District, uh, graduated from Jerseyville High School. And then I went to Catholic school in college. So I went to the University of St. Thomas. Okay. My downtown. son's going to go there this uh, this spring. I mean, spring, excuse me, this uh, fall. It's a great school, yeah, great Catholic environment. We're excited about that. It, it is awesome. It's, it, it's grown. It's changed so much since I went there. Yeah, they're, and they're expanding too. They are. They're getting bigger. Have you always thought of becoming a priest or... Uh, no, not always thought about being a priest. No, it wasn't until, it wasn't until college really that I thought that was something I wanted to do. So for for me, it started priesthood kind of rubbing around in the back of my head Uh back. Yeah. I guess when I was, when I was altar server, maybe middle school age, thought about it then, but it it, it wasn't something I ever thought, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be a priest, Uh but church was always really important to us. I mean, my parents were always at church. We were always doing something at church. I never thought ever of missing a Sunday mass. We would just go. But I, you know, I just, I love being at church. I love being at places like this where you get the chance to pray and worship the Lord. And, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't until later, until I was in college that I thought, yeah, that's what I Your parents do. both uh, from Catholic families? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Long, yeah. A long, lot of generations of Catholics uh, ahead of me. So my dad side of the family, Italian, Dolce, my mom's, uh, her, her last name is Bork. So French Cajun, very mm. historically Catholic. So my mom and dad both went through Catholic schools. Um, so yeah, we're deeply, deeply rooted in the Catholic in the Catholic faith, Catholic tradition. Two different roots of Catholicism. Yes, but still, I mean, I just I loved going to church. I always did. Uh, one of the stories I tell when they, my my parents realized that maybe I was called the priesthood. Uh huh. It's four years old. My brother is about one. We were going to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. It was before we built a church that had a cry room. So it was just a, a hall, and my brother was good at screaming. And so my parents <laughs> could never keep him quiet. And so they were taking turns going outside. Uh-huh. So they decided, well, let's try to split up. Let's One of us stay home, one of us go to church, and we'll switch until mm-hmm. he kind of grows out of this. So I'm four years old, and they asked me, hey, who do you want to go to church with? And to my parents' astonishment, I said, can I go with both of you? 
Uh-huh. So for a while, I was going to mass with dad on Saturday night. Uh-huh. My mom stayed home with my brother. And then on Sunday morning, I go with mom. My dad stayed home with my brother. <laughs> so I was going to mass twice every weekend. And my parents were like, well, he, he likes it. And <laughs> he knows how to do this. But but even that, I mean, even like four years old, five years old, I remember thinking, church is so cool. It's so awesome and amazing. But priesthood wasn't something that was in the forefront of my mind. I just thought, yeah, church is something you do and you it was just a, from it. It was a deep-seated part of your life. Yeah, faith was important. But it wasn't something I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. I, it wasn't until like the first seeds, I think, planted were in middle school, and I was serving all the time. And I joke with people that I was a super server. I was one of the kids that would come in every single mass and ask, hey, do y'all need another server? Do y'all, are y'all one short? Can I serve with you? <laughs> and so I'd served all the time, especially in the summertime when kids are away for traveling uh-huh. and vacation and stuff. I would serve all the time. Oh, yeah, lots of opportunities there. And then so yeah. you'd see the priest all the time. You're in the sacristy, and the priest would talk to you about things church-wise. And, and I remember Father Tony asking once, he said, have you ever thought about it? I was like, what? Priest said, nah, nah. What parish was this? St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. So, yeah, north northwest side in town. It's a huge parish now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people that go there. But anyway, that's where I went growing up. Was it just that one sibling? I have one brother. That's it. Just him and I. Younger. How many years younger? He's and three years younger. Did he ever think about No, priesthood? not really. But he did go. My brother did go to an explore retreat back when he was in junior high. And it wasn't for him? No. Is he married? He's married. He's got two kids. It's oh. awesome. It's fun being an uncle. When did you really first seriously think about becoming a, a priest? When I first thought about it, seriously, my thought of saying, I think I might want to do this. I was in college. I went to the University of St. Thomas. It was all the theology philosophy I had to think. Uh-huh. So part of the curriculum at St. Thomas, a liberal arts education, you got to take so many hours of theology and philosophy. And yes, yes. I was always really good at math and science. And so I thought I was going to end up somewhere in the math and science field because I was good at numbers, good at math, good at science. I thought that's where I'm going to go. But then when I got to college and I said, man, my favorite classes are the theology and philosophy. Mm. And then I started to ask the question like, okay, my favorite classes are theology, philosophy. I love going to church. I love praying. I love serving at mass. <laughs> so uh-huh. why don't I start thinking about that? And I did. And I started talking to the Brazilians at the University of St. Thomas and said, hey, mm. I'm thinking maybe priesthood's for me. And I remember doing a discernment summer uh, my, between my junior and senior year of college. The Brazilians took me up to their place of formation, which is in Toronto. Oh. And I got to stay there and live in the house. How long and, and was actually, that? It was a summer. A so whole maybe summer. six, seven weeks maybe. Okay. But I remember being there. So Father Jim Murphy, who's the, he's the principal or the, whatever they call it, the, I don't Director know. He's the principal. Or... No, he's at St. Thomas High School. Oh, okay. I, I, he's the principal, the president, I forget. Okay. Which, but, but anyway, he's working at St. Thomas High School now, but he was a seminarian at the house where I was a discerner. I was a college student. Oh, Wow. And so I was in it was in Toronto that summer thinking about his priesthood for me. It was a great program the Brazilians put together. And it was at the end of that summer that I realized that I think God's asking me to look into this. I think God wants me to be a priest, but I wasn't sure uh-huh. if it was diocesan religious. And then I'd ask that question, like, okay, God, I think you're calling me to this, and I have to do some more discernment. So during your high school and college, how about girls? Did you date? Mm, no, no, not really. I mean, I was so incredibly busy in high school. Uh, I mean, I was involved, played basketball, I was in the band. Academically, I was trying to do well. Um, you played so I basketball did. and band. I That's did. a lot of time. Yeah, it was a lot. So I didn't have time to date, really. And, and by the time I got to college and dating and all that, I was like, okay, now it's time to start thinking about spouse. Is this, uh-huh. I mean, you're not just dating for fun at that point. It's, yeah. You're dating to see, is this somebody I can be married to? Mm-hmm. And by the time I got into that, asking that question, I was like, I think God wants me to be a priest. So there was no real serious relationship 
that you had to let go of when you explored becoming a priest? No, no, not really. Now, in high school, going to college, you start going to those retreats. That's when that you're really exploring it. And what made you decide to become, you know, um, a diocesan priest instead of a instead of join the Basilians? Well, okay, so the Basilians in their house of formation had a picture inside their front door, mm-hmm. and it was the pond that was right across the street from the house, and it was frozen. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, that's, what it, that's, that, that's that pond outside in the wintertime. It's like, that, that pond freezes, and it gets cold enough to... And I was like, man, this is, this is not for me. This is <laughs> Living, in Canada. This is in Canada, Toronto, Canada. Yeah, so I'm like, this, no, I don't know. So that was one thing that I said, I don't know that I could be someplace where it's this uh-huh. cold. And being from Houston, living here, loving the culture here, loving the people here, loving the people that have inspired me and taught me and formed me, I was like, I want to I get back. And uh, yeah, so that's what it ended up being for me. You didn't look into any other... Uh, orders. I did some discernment, uh, but yeah, at, at that point it was pretty much just a, is it a, to be a Brazilian or diocesan? But I, when I graduated from college, I took a job working in a parish. So I worked at St. John Vianney as a youth minister. Mm-hmm. And I used that as discernment for me to say, is this something that I could do for the rest of my life? So you completed your college. And I you... did, finished, graduated from college. And then what was your degree? I, was, I, I ended up being a liberal arts major, concentrations in biology and theology. So... Um, I don't, yeah, by the time I graduated from college and said, I think God wants me to be a priest, let me, let me see if diocesan priesthood was for me. And I was so thankful because I was at St. John Vianney, and Father Morphin was the pastor then, and he knew I was discerning. Okay. And so he would bring me along for things that he said, hey, why don't you come? I've got this meeting. Why don't you come and sit in and see if— He wanted to give you a glimpse he of— He did, and he gave me a nice little snapshot, and like, this is what it could be, and this uh-huh. is something for you. So by the two two years working in youth ministry, I, I knew God was asking me to be a priest, and God was— Invited me to that was kind to of like apply a, for the diocese. That was kind of like a pastoral year of sorts. Kind of like, kind of was a pastoral year of sorts. But I loved youth ministry, and I love working with youth and the kids and running things like Bible studies and retreats and uh-huh. camping trips. And so we I just had a good time. How did your parents react to you wanting to become a priest? My parents were always super supportive. Uh, you know, as a kid, I remember parents having that conversation like with my brother and I. Like, when you think about what you want to do with life, mm-hmm. you know, hope you guys are open to priesthood. Okay, that's you know, we good. Need, we need we need priests, and we were. I mean, my brother went to an, this uh, explore retreat, and I ended up becoming a priest. So. so it wouldn't have been different if you were the only child or the only son. I don't know. I don't think so. No, my parents were always super supportive of it, and and they saw they saw how much joy came to me when I went to seminary and started studying all the things that we get to study, and they they see it when they come out here and visit and uh-huh. come to mass, and all the parishioners are like. Thank you so much. For Are they still your son. in this area? My parents still, still live in the yeah northwest area. Now they they go to Christ Redeemer now. Mm. That's their that's their parish, but they're still around. And oh yeah, special events I and all that. And I know they tell me that all the time. I'm super proud of you. We're super proud of you and the difference that we get to make in the lives of people. So that's what, fantastic. It is a great gift. And and I know that I am so blessed, and my parents were so supportive because I've I've met a lot of other guys who are priests that they don't have that same support. Did you have any classmates when you were a seminarian that? had the opposite, whose parents just did not want them to be there. Yeah, I saw a bunch of that. Yeah, and it's vocation director. I saw a lot of it too. Mm-hmm. And it's vocation director. I'm previously a vocation oh, yeah. director. I saw a lot of guys who just either didn't finish the whole seminary process because they didn't have same family support, or they never even entered because they didn't have oh, wow. family support. Wow. You went in 
right after that one year? I worked what two years? Two years. Two years. Okay. In youth ministry. Two two years in youth ministry, and then what was the thing that just put you over the edge and said, "Okay, I got to do this. I got to pull the trigger on this and enter the seminary because this is what I want to do." Was there a moment, or was it something just gradual? It was a gradual. I I remember going to World Youth Day in two thousand two thinking I was going to work one more year in youth ministry and then apply for the diocese. And I remember John Paul II uh, celebrated mass in that big field outside of Toronto uh-huh. and, and making some sort of general comment. I think he probably said it in French and then it was, we were listening on the radio. So we had to hear the translation, but saying to us young people of the church that if, if God's asking you to do something, including priesthood religious life, you know, be open to that. You know, listen to him. I remember saying, hmm, all right, that's God's message right there. <laughs> That I need to, I need to give it a shot. I need to give give seminary an opportunity. And then you you applied, and that was and that was it. You just went straight through the the years of seminary. You didn't discern out and come back or take a break or anything like that. No, I yeah, I, I was in seminary. I went to seminary in two thousand three, and then got ordained a priest in two thousand nine. Didn't take a break. I mean, there was challenges in discernment, as there always is for yeah. all guys to say, "Is this really what I want to do?" Because there was the experience of working in a parish and working in youth ministry saying, yeah, I think God wants me to do this. Mm. But then when you're actually in seminary and it's rubber meets the road, like, can you see yourself doing this the rest of your life? So that's that's where the challenge is. Did you ever is. think about exiting seminary and saying, I just want to be a, a youth minister? I ne- no, I never thought about being... I, when the discernment came in seminary, the question is, do I stay in seminary and become a priest, or do I leave and do something else? Uh-huh. So I never thought, like, hey, it's either this or, or that. Uh-huh. But I did have, I mean, I, I had some of those moments, some of those days in prayer where you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this. But God is faithful, and being, you know, steadfast in prayer, God has the guys where he wants us to be. Now, I would assume that since a lot of our, our guests have mentioned this, that um, you might have had, do you have any difficulty with the concept of never getting married, never having children? Was that a big thing for you? Or really, was it just mainly thinking career path? I think that is a natural progression for, for guys when they're discerning. So yes, I, and I had that, I had some of those days where I was like, okay, I could be a priest or I could, I could see myself getting married, having a family, teaching them how to be disciples and mm-hmm. helping them grow. So yeah, I, I did have, I did have that question that, that rolled around in my head. Was there any pressure since you're the, the elder son to have in your head, not from your parents, because you said your parents were very supportive. Did you have any pressure in your head that, oh, you know, I'm the eldest son? No, you know, I never had any of that killed. pressure from inside. I, I, I do. I always felt like a little bit of pressure of saying, there's a lot of people who need priests. Mm. This is an incredibly humongous diocese. Yes. And there's it's hard. It's hard for people to get to a mass, or it's hard for people to find a priest for confession or anointing of the sick. So if there was any pressure in that, it was saying, I want to serve this local church, and there are tons of people to serve. As, as the Lord says, like, the harvest is abundant, laborers are few. And, when, and that's where the pressure would have come for me saying, all right, I don't, do I really want to do that? Yes, I'm going to do it because there's a lot of people who need us. Were you still in seminary when your brother had the kids, or were you already a priest? Mm, I uh, my brother got married while I was in seminary. He had his first kid right before I, I got ordained. Because I yeah, I'm the godfather to my my nephew who's older, and then I got to baptize my niece when she was born. That is cool. Which was an awesome experience. And then I actually gave first communion to my niece here in our church. 
Nice. Where she came out with the family, and that was neat. That was so cool to be able to say to my family, hey, I want you to meet my parish family. Uh-huh. My parish family, I want you to meet yeah. my family, including my niece, who's making a first communion today. That is and awesome. We get to celebrate in that. But yeah, that's really, really neat. To, to it's <laughs> The other cool thing about being a priest in the family is my nephew, when, I, uh, when he went through first confession, they, my, my brother and sister-in-law were going to take him to the big giant parish penance service. And uh-huh. my nephew said, well, why, do, why can't I just go to Uncle TJ? Or is it, he's a priest. I could just go to confession for him. Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of cool to me as a second grade. Now he's a high school student. Uh-huh. Not so much the case anymore. Now he's not <laughs> like, I want to go to Uncle TJ for confession. But it was cool when he was a yeah, second when he was grade. A, when he was a little kid, you can do something a little more intimate, mm-hmm. something out of, you know, you, but now, yeah, he probably looks for somebody he doesn't know, right? <laughs> That does change. It changes, gets older. But that's it's cool. Neat. That it's neat know, being a priest in the family. Yeah, and you you can kind of you know you could see your um you know your your brother and his family as they grow and you know kind of live vicariously through them and just mm-hmm. and do they go here as well to St. Martha? No, they no they live out in the Cypress area. Okay, mm-hmm. but you I'm sure you see them every once yes. in a while. Yes, the, we do. Your parents are still within Houston, so mm-hmm. so that's cool. Where did you spend your at that time? Did they have the you know, um, your pastoral year? Yes. Where were you? Here. Actually, right. not here. It was over at the other church, at the St. Martha's Inn in the Kingwood area. Okay, before no, so here's this. The, I mean, this is what's really cool for me, is that I uh, got to spend my seminary and pastoral year at St. Martha's. My first assignment ever as a priest, St. Martha's. My wow. experience as a pastor, St. Martha's. So I've been associated with this parish for a long time. So, so you're really the son of this parish. I, I am. Yeah. And what's funny is I didn't grow up here, but a lot of people think I'm from Kingwood because I did my pastoral year. I was a priest here. I was as an associate. Now I'm pastor. So, so it's really cool to, to be associated with this, with this parish uh-huh. now for it's 16 years since I first stepped foot here as a seminarian. Wow. Who was the, who was the pastor at Von the time? And, and that's, I mean, that's why I was back here as a, as a, parochial vicar, and I think that's a, a big reason why I'm back here as pastor is because, because he, he was on the personnel board both times when those assignments came up. And yeah, such a great advocate, such a great mentor, such an amazing priest. Were you able to request, uh, you know, when... No, it no. doesn't work that way. We don't, as priests, we don't have any say. You but the personnel give a little board, bit of hint, you the know. The personnel board does. <laughs> but that's what happened. I was, I was with Father Borsky for a year as a pastoral year seminarian. I get ordained. Father Borsky was on the, past, the personnel board. I mean, and, and maybe the conversation was, he's like, hey, you know what? I'd like TJ to come back and be the vicar. Because I mean, it sounds like a dream. And then, and then when he retired, it was kind of the same thing. He was all yeah. personal board then, and he had a voice to say, wow. I think this would be a great priest to take my place as the next pastor at St. Martha's. Because so being one, here, it seems like yes, a dream assignment it for is. you. And it's amazing because I got to spend so much time with Father Borsky. So I got to see his vision for the parish, and I got to see how he he liked to, how things kind of fit together. So I got, I got to see that. And so there was a nice... Smooth transition from yes. when he retired to to when I got here, and I'm just I'm such a big fan of him as a priest, I and mean, he's such a great priest, such a great mentor. Oh, we love Good it when man. he when when he's there at Saint Faustina. Yeah. Let's let's talk about your ordination. Do you remember anything about that day itself? That the wedding day. Is I remember there anything? my ordination day. What yeah. sticks with you about that day? The the day itself. <laughs> so so I. The way it, I, I'm sure you've talked about to the other priests about this. The way it works is the day before you get ordained, you meet with the cardinal and he gives you your assignment. Yes. And so he gives you the assignment and he says, like, you can tell whoever you want. 
Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody until they ask. So I didn't tell anybody that I was really? coming to St. Martha's as my first assignment. Is that what and you were really hoping for? Well, I, I, I didn't really think it was going to be that much of a possibility. Uh-huh. But yeah, I would have loved to. This is a parish I know. People like Father Borsky is an awesome mentor. Were you, great were you probably thinking, oh, you know, I was there for pastoral year. Probably not going to be there as a parochial vicar. So, but that. what I remember that day is like getting ordained and waiting for, okay, St. Martha's people, like ask me where I'm going. <laughs> Like somebody asked me where so I'm nobody going. Nobody asked you. Some people are walking in, and I wanted to tell them, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to say." But it was finally one of the it was one of the youth ministers who comes up to me and he says, "Hey, do you know where you, where's your assignment?" It's like St. Martha's, and then there was like this buzz throughout the church, and then he told all everybody, and then they were all coming back to find me. And they're like, "It's true. Are you coming to St. Martha's? Are you coming to?" St. That's hilarious. So Nobody was, asked you until yeah, it was what many people were coming in, and then so people were texting each other and calling each other. Hey, guess guess where Father Teacher is going to go for his assignment. <laughs> so it was yeah, it was really 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 cool. And you got reunited with with Father Borsky. Yes, and all the parishioners that I had gotten to know in my time as mm, pastoral yes. year and families that I've seen. So yeah, it's just it's incredible. What a great blessing! I, I feel so blessed to be able to see so many families. And just from that 16 years being associated with this parish. Yeah, because you 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 can reconnect with them, yeah. see see how they've progressed after a few years of, you know, not seeing them. Yeah. And some of the couples when I was here as the first time as a priest, I did their weddings. And then they've had kids. And then I gave first communion to those kids. Oh, this past that's year. awesome. <laughs> that so, yeah, is it's awesome. Just, it's really cool to, to, to be able to walk with. So how many years was that parents. first assignment? Three years. Three years. And then where did they send you after that? Uh, they sent me to Mary Magdalene in Humble, which is nine miles from here. So it's close, not too far. It's like the closest <laughs> parish here, which was another, that was a bizarre experience for me because then we had parishioners that were from here that were like, hey, hey, Father TJ, what, what mass are you doing this weekend? Hey, we'll come out and visit. <laughs> and then I would always see people from St. Martha's around the Kingwell Humble area. Uh-huh. It'd, be, it'd be a dinner on the golf course or whatever. Because <laughs> it's so close. Yeah, yeah, it's just right down the road. We're neighboring parishes. Uh, so that I was there for a year, and then I was at St. Thomas More for a year as an administrator. Okay. And that was another, yeah, it was another great experience there at St. Thomas More's. What As an administrator, parish. what does that mean? Administrator means that I was a, a, a pastor without the title. Okay. So it's the, it, it's what they normally give to guys before they make them a pastor because cannot, canon laws just makes it easier to remove an administrator than it is to move remove a pastor. Oh, okay. So they give, they give guys a trial period as administrator. Okay. And if it works out, then they make a pastor. Okay. And if it doesn't work out, it's really easy to just say, I didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how the a lot of dioceses kind of get around that difficulty or challenge. Anyway, so administrator, I was like the pastor, just without the title. Okay. Um and how and you were there for how long? Just a year. Just a year. Is that when you became vocation director? Yeah. And that's why they didn't keep you there because they so needed somebody can there. Can I share huh? this story? I, I guess I can. It was, it was back in the day. So when they sent me to Thomas More, they said we're going to send you to Thomas More for years as an administrator. Okay. Because the pastor that I had taken the place of had he had to go on medical leave. Okay. So they were like, "We're going to send you to Thomas More for a year." Shh. But don't tell anybody because after that we're going to make you vocation director. But shh. Don't tell anybody yet. <laughs> so I was at St. Thomas More knowing that I was only going to be there for oh, about a year because I was going to go to vocation. Oh. And then I remember like in February or March that year Father Dat was my predecessor in vocation yes. office and then he's told me he says, "Okay, we're going to make an announcement that I'm going to take over at a new parish. Uh-huh. So now you can start telling people you're going to be my replacement in the vocation. <laughs> That's when you got <laughs> So I okay. sat on it for, what, seven, eight months of like, okay, I can't tell anybody. Not this telling. This was the plan. But was, it was, was that funny. difficult 
not being yeah, able hard. to tell. It's anyone. hard, especially because the seminarians were guessing. Okay, Father Dad, he's getting close to the end of his term as vocation mm. director. Who do we think it's going to be? Yes. And the Father Dad was always like, "Hey, come around to this. Maybe this will help you because when you're vocation director, you're going to need to know how to do this activity." And I'd show up, and the seminarians are like, "Are you going to be the next vocation?" I'm like, I can't tell you. Sorry, <laughs> can't tell you. And then it, so it wasn't a surprise to anybody when I when I took over as the vocation director. When we talked to Father Richard McNeely, who's currently the vocation director, he when he talks about Father Dat's tenure as vocation director, he calls him the goat because he had like the record for the largest incoming class for seminarians. Was it tough to follow up Father Dat when were there expectations like that to to bring in a lot of guys or even just within yourself? Yeah, vocation director. It, it's it's. Probably going to be the toughest job ever as a priest. Really? Because as vocation director, you're trying to sell a product that nobody in the world really wants to buy. <laughs> and that's the best way that I can explain it. Yes, it's hard. And, and, and as vocation director, all anybody wants to ask you is, how many new guys you got? How many new seminarians? <laughs> so like whole identity is tied up with the numbers of guys that you have that are coming in the seminary. And, and vocation director, it being it's so difficult, so challenging. Because you've got to identify in others. Do we really think this is what this guy has? Is he worth giving a shot to to go in for? Uh-huh. It's just it's tough. And then you got to be the guy to say no sometimes. Oh, where a guy's in seminary and it's clear it's not working out, and oh, maybe wow. he's not called to be a priest. So that's tougher, I suppose. It's so hard. It's such a hard ministry. So if you're asking if it's hard to follow Father Dad, yes, yes, it was. Being vocation director is incredibly tough, and, oh. and that's why. I mean, Father Richard. I mean. He's one of the priests I pray for by name every day because his job is so hard. And because it's I so can imagine it's like, it might be like being a military recruiter. People are trying to run away from you and you're, you're, you have to kind of follow them and you know, they kind of want to do it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one of the stories, and I was just sharing this with another priest, Steubenville Youth Conferences. Uh huh. Great opportunities. Yes. Beautiful experience for young people to come forward and get to know the Lord in a deeper way, to experience his incredible love, the adoration, the masses, the confessions that are available. It's beautiful. At the end of most Steubenville conferences, they do an altar call where they, they say, any boys, mm. any girls that want to be priests or nuns, come forward. We're going to say a blessing. Uh-huh. And you get tons of people that come up there. And the bishop gives them a blessing about discernment and the Lord's love and being faithful and listening to him. Back in the day, and I don't know if Steubenville still does this, but they would give cards to the young people to say, hey, fill this out with your name, your email address. We'll send it to your vocation director. Okay. So every summer I would get a stack of these cards from Steubenville to say, these are people that are living in your diocese. Uh-huh. Reach out to them. Follow. Every yeah. year I would write an email to everybody who filled out those cards. Do you know how many times I got a respond email from anybody who came and went to a Steubenville Youth Conference? How many? Zero. Really? Zero. No one ever responded. And I would say, hey, I'm for the teacher, vocation director. These are all uh-huh. the programs that we have. Here's our website. Here's the activities. Here's the programs. You had such a great experience on this retreat. Why don't you reach out and continue to discern? It must be very... But then they don't... <laughs> it's like disheartening, I suppose, it's for inc- you. It's incredibly disheartening. It's, and it's, I think it's in- incredibly disheartening just for the church in general. Mm. We have a huge shortage of priests and religious. Humongous shortage. Harvest is abundant. The laborers are few. And there's so many things in our culture. There's so many options that young people have that's not priesthood religious life. Uh-huh. And we all need to, we all need to pray. Pray for more priests and nuns. Pray for more brothers and sisters. We, 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 we need more, we need more young people to stand and say, yes, I will follow the Lord. It's hard, yes. It's challenging, yes. It's difficult, yes, but that's the life of a Christian. 
following where Jesus wants us to go. So we do. We all need to pray for that. And, and parents, if there's any parents watching, listening, please encourage your kids to think about priesthood. What's the biggest uh, obstacle you, you say towards people, you know, keeping people from religious life? I, the, biggest, the biggest obstacle is the culture. I mean, when you think about the radical commitment it takes to follow, to follow Jesus as a priest or religious, you got to lay down everything. Uh-huh. You got to sacrifice everything. You got to be willing to say, it's not me anymore. It's, 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 it's the Lord. And in that beautiful moment at an ordination or a consecration, lay down on the altar. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. I'm dying to my needs, my wants, my desires so that I can follow Jesus. Our culture does not celebrate that at all. Mm. And that is the biggest challenge. And our culture says, no, 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 no. You need to do what you want to do. You need to be who you want to be. It it's all say, about you. It's all about you. That's the biggest <laughs> obstacle is our culture. You know, 50, 100, 200 years ago when there were less options in the world for people to choose to do that, you had more priests and religious. Yeah, it seems like more people more want to be... a. Um, social influencers or <laughs> nowadays than uh, religious life. Anything other than, yeah, laying down my life for a bigger cause. But yeah, that's that's what I would say that the challenge, the biggest challenge was. You had a short stint though as vocation director. I don't know. It was four Rel- years. Felt like 40. <laughs> Wednesday was short. Because <laughs> Father, uh, Father Richard said that uh, normally it's about seven years, but you had it for four years? It was four years. Because... Father Borsky was retiring here at St. Martha. Uh, I think that had a big part to play in it, yes. So did he choose you, or do they not say anything? Because you said he was I on think the... I think he had a voice. Uh-huh. I mean, he was, on, he was on the board at the time, and um, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know what all went behind the scenes. But I'm thankful for my time in vocation work. I'm thankful that I was able to walk with so many guys. And it's neat to see some of those guys that I helped bring into the seminary, I helped mentor. Now they're getting ordained as priests. Are they, your first batch, are, have they already been ordained or? Oh, the batch is different because some guys came in and they only need a couple of years of formation. Uh-huh. Like Kingsley, Father Kingsley, he was one of the first. And he, he only needed a couple of years of formation. Okay. He had done a lot of formation elsewhere before. But, but, you know, the guy, these guys that were just ordained, Father Jacob um, Ramirez, Father Christopher Meyer, Father Luis Garcia, they came in under my... Oh, they, that's They cool. applied when I was vocation director. So that, that must make you feel really proud to see them... Yeah, it's like being a... Take like, the whole... Yeah, it's like gym. being a dad when you watch your kids graduating, yeah. move on to the next cool, awesome thing in life. Yeah, that is neat. It's cool to see the guys, guys give their lives to the Lord, be willing to, to walk this walk too. That is so cool. Yeah, it is kind of like being a dad when you when you have a, when you when you bring them in, you kind of you know take them under your wing as a vocation director, and then you see them through through the seminary. So do, do you you have a lot of communication with the semin- seminarians as the vocation director, huh? We do, we do. Yeah, we help them out. We're there. We're there for. So them. it's not just recruiting, but it's also nurturing those guys as well. Yes. So yeah, it's seminary support, director of vocations, and seminary support. So and and, that, and that's one of the things that that I that I do miss about being in the vocation office was was watching those guys grow year after year, get a little bit more mature, learning their pastoral lessons, going on pastoral year, and then coming back and saying, "Hey guys, I learned this incredible thing <laughs> that happens." Uh, yeah, and it was so, it was yeah, it's really cool to see to see those the guys who are thinking about giving their lives to Jesus see that and experience that themselves. 
of how transforming the love of God can be. Did any of them, did you look at them and say, yeah, this guy's going all the way? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's or is it just tough too tough question. to say? It's too tough to say because it, you know, you think everybody's got the potential uh-huh. that goes to seminary to be a priest, but there's a lot of other circumstances that come up. I mean, guys, you know, they fall in love or uh-huh. they realize, I don't really think this is for me. I'd, I'd rather do this. I'd rather do this other thing or whatever situational happen. It happens in life. So no, ever never went in and thought, yeah, I think this guy's going to do. It. I mean, my, my job was more to say, these are these weaknesses that this guy has, and this is what he needs to work on. Uh-huh. And these are opportunities or programs that I can plug him into during the summer, during the school year to, to learn from so he can grow and have a better chance of making it as a priest. Now you said that um, there are some guys it's tough when you know they're not meant to to you know, to become priests, what what are the most common reasons that uh, you know people would discern out, or things that you've you've just seen a lot of? Is it because- support? Support is one. Really, guys who don't have support of family or friends, it's harder for them to be able to say, "All right, I got everything I need right here to to be able to make it." So, guys who don't have support of families and friends, that's that's a huge challenge. Celibacy is a challenge. It is a hard way to live our lives, to say, I am going to make sure that the relationship that means the most to me in my life is the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to say goodbye to, to family and, and a wife and kids and stability of freedom of where I'm going to live and who I'm going to live with, because that's another challenge in priesthood that we get sometimes. <laughs> we have no say in who's going to live in the rectories with us. <laughs> and that can be tough And it guys. changes every few it years. It can change every few years or every year sometimes, oh, depending yeah. on... How how often guys get get moved around? So it's so so I think all of those things come into play in guys' discernment. I don't know that there's one particular issue that says this is what keeps guys from being able to go forward. But the, the, but family support is something that really is important. Yeah, that is. So and, you, and a good strong, really good strong prayer life is is tremendously important for guys. Have you seen the opposite? The families that are a little too pushy. Yes. Or is it? Me? No, that could, that happens a lot. Where guys really? end up, guys end up with an application because their mom or dad wanted them to apply, <laughs> but they, they don't last long in seminary. Their heart's formation. not in their it. Their heart's yeah. in. That's very clear when they get to seminary. Like he hadn't been to morning mass in a week. <laughs> like, who really wanted him to do this? Uh, and that's kind of clear that eh, maybe this guy's not. Maybe this guy's not meant to be a priest. But there are some stories. Uh, some of the guys that came in and interviewed on our show, they they did say how some of their families came around. Like uh, Father Luis, he said how his his parents came around, or um, Father Houston, mm-hmm. how how his his family came around. So that must be very, I mean, make you very happy just to see something like that, because to see them go through that difficulty early on. Yeah, and that does happen. We we know that that the role that, that having a priest in the family can play on the faith of of the rest of the family. Yes, that that can happen. When you entered seminary yourself, mm-hmm. um, did you see other guys and say, you know, oh, he's going to become a priest and probably not me? Did you see other guys that were a little more, you know, to say, oh, this guy's so holy. If he doesn't become a priest, then maybe I, you know, you, you compare yourself to other guys in seminary sometimes? I don't know. Looking back on it, I would say I, I didn't have that mentality, but maybe I did. I mean, that was, that was a while ago. I entered seminary in 2003. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since to say, did I, do I remember exactly what happened at that time? But it, but it's a natural thing. You learn as a seminarian when you watch guys discern out, when you get, watch guys around you that you think, man, this guy would be good at being a priest, but he's choosing this other path instead. And that's okay too. But I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I did have that 
thought, and I can't, I can't remember now if I did. Um, and and I think, I think if I did, that the, that the Lord used that as motivation for me and my own call to say yes, I'll serve you as a priest. Going back to the seminary now, the one thing that we always ask um, our guests who've been in seminary, the pranks that happen in the seminary, were there a lot during your time? Uh, there might have been. I, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a good person to ask about pranks. I I have a I don't know. I guess my philosophy is that pranks are a waste of time and resources. So I, I kind of make that known. And like, if you want to prank other guys, whatever, that's fine. But I I never participated in the prank. Were you pranked? Um. Yeah. I think April Fool's the first year I was in seminary. There was a prank that went on. But what was that? Uh, I don't. The guys moved pillow cushions outside the room and covered some doors with newspapers or something. And I. But nothing to. I don't know. I'm, I'm crazy, uh, and I'm sorry. I don't have this kind of excitement about <laughs> hey pranks. Hey, no, no, no. I'm like, I was in seminary to go find out if God wanted me to be a priest, uh-huh. and I would let guys know. And I'm like, all right, that's so you were a little more of a serious. Uh, I yes, seminarian. That was a serious seminarian. Yes, you could say that. So people knew not. Oh, he's 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 serious. Let's not let's not prank him too much. Yeah, probably. So. <laughs> now, while you're in seminary. Did you did you notice like um, you know girls start coming out of the woodwork you know uh, what they call chalice chippers or cassock chasers did you, did you have any of that experience or no not really um that temptation well, yeah well, I don't temptation is the right word I would say yeah, maybe more not. discernment uh huh I mean there were opportunities and certainly when I was in seminary mm-hmm. saying oh oh there is an opportunity for another choice in life, marriage and family life. There, there is that out there. And yeah, and I did, I had an, an experience with, uh, yeah, with a young lady that I met when I was in seminary and started to ask that question, like, could I, could I mm-hmm. pursue a relationship with her instead of priesthood? Yeah, this is someone you probably yeah. could see yourself yeah, marrying. Said, in yeah, the this is, this could be, this could be a good fit. So how that was you, part of the discernment. How'd you get past that? Uh, you just, you pray through it and you say, God, what is it that you want me to do? If you want me to, yeah. If you got, if you want me to go this path instead, please make it abundantly clear. And I'm a priest now, <laughs> so it wasn't abundantly clear. But yeah, and, and I saw that a lot with guys who, yeah, guys who did find a relationship, and and just the experience of when you're in seminary and you see what love is and what it's supposed to be and the love that God has for us and how that can be mirrored in marriage. Marriage. Uh-huh. I mean, a lot of guys who are in seminary they leave and they have awesomely holy marriages. And they're better dads and better husbands because of their experience in seminary. And so you're happy. You're happy for those guys. And then it's, it's really cool. And then those guys have kids, and then they send those, those boys end up in seminary. Have you ever had that experience? Um, well, I, I know of it when Father now Father Jacob Ramirez was here. Yes. He was a pastoral year seminarian, and, and his dad was in seminary. <laughs> Yes, that was awesome when I yeah. when he was just ordained. Yes, with and his his uncle, the bishop, was there. and his older brother, who's a priest now brother, too. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, you see it where they, their family was so his parents are so supportive of the option of priesthood, and two of their boys are now priests. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's like okay, I won't give you one priest, I'll give you two priests. Right. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it family, is awesome yeah. to see, and and there are guys. I'm sure there are guys in seminary that we're going to see 20 years from now that their sons will be in seminary as well. Maybe multiple sons again. So how many years did you say you were here again uh, for as a pastor? As a pastor. This is your... This, I just finished my fourth. Your fourth year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, are they going to move you again within the next few years? Or I don't know. Usually... Cause I'm what here I, 
as long as the Cardinal says, I need you here. Or his successor. I don't know. what I'm, I'm here to serve. Because what I've heard is usually you move seven to ten years, somewhere around that. Uh, my experience is they, they talk to the pastors after six years. And if they're happy there, then they might leave them for another six. Okay. And then maybe another six. And then in some cases, another six after that. I don't know. I'm here to serve. As of now, you're just focused on here and now and serving your community till the, you know, as, as long as you, as long as God wants you here. Yes. What advice would you give to somebody who's, you know, being someone who was a vocation director, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about religious life? Say praying. Number one, praying. Ask God, what is it that's going to set your heart most on fire to love him? And that's, yeah, that's primary. Because God creates us to love him and to serve him. And however, however that looks. Um, if a guy's interested in priesthood, religious life, you know, ask the question. Do you feel like you can serve for the rest of your life? Serve the needs of others and serve the Lord. And if, yeah, if the answer to that question is yes, then, then maybe God is calling you to be a priest or, or, or brother. Um, and yeah, to the women out there too, young, young women that are watching this as well, you know, can you see yourself serving? Can you see yourself giving up the things of the world to serve the Lord? And uh, he does. He, he's calling. He's calling a lot of people. What about to the parents that might not be so comfortable with letting their, you know, with their, their son or daughter entering religious life? What would you say to them? Since you have a lot of experience as you know, yeah. as vocation director, you've you've spoken with a lot of these parents. So yeah. What um, what would you say to a parent who's maybe son or daughter's thinking about it and they're kind of hesitant? I, I didn't win a whole lot of friends. What I would say this, but I would tell the parents: don't be selfish. Your child has been given to you as a gift by God, mm. and God knows what they need most to to be happy and to and to fulfill and and serve Him with their lives. So don't be selfish. I mean, we got so many parents that want grandkids. You can't do that. Your family name's gonna die, uh-huh. and, and all those. But it's like this is this is a selfish cultural. I'm thinking about me. Mm-hmm. Parents think about the church going forward and how many lives that your son or daughter can touch if they decide to serve the Lord as priest or religious. So I I know I'd, I'd upset some parents when I would say that, but but it's true. In, in today's culture society, where families are a lot smaller than they were mm-hmm. 100 years ago, it's a lot less, a lot less likely to give a child to, to the church to serve. It's a larger percentage of your children you're giving away That's right. as compared to when, you, when families had six or seven children, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, just parents, don't be selfish. God gave you your son, your daughter, and, and offer that child back to the Lord to say, this is... I give this child to you for your, for your kingdom. So I, I I don't know. I hope that helps, and I hope I hope parents understand what an incredible gift it is to have a child, who's a priest or brother, sister, nun. It's the the the, the life, the impact that uh, yeah that those children can make on the world if they give their their service to the Lord and the church. So we were talking earlier before we sat down here about sports. Now I understand that you pull sports into a lot of your homilies. I do. I, I think that sports are a modern day parable. I mean, Jesus always talked about things that were going on in those times. He talked a lot about gardening and talked about traveling. We just, you know, hear some of the, the great parables about the lost son or the, the prodigal son or the good Samaritan. I, I think sports lend themselves to help us understand more about the allegory of, of, of faith and, and hope and of life. And, and most people are 
they can relate to sports because they either play it themselves or they've got a kid who's playing a sport right now. And so I, I just think that sports are a great way that we can, yeah, that we can evangelize, that we can use sports as an image, an image for life. And, you know, we, you know, we're, I think we're blessed too, because sports in some cases are the one thing that we can still agree to disagree on. Mm. We disagree on politics and on philosophy, but you know, you can watch a good game and, at the end of the day, a team's going to win, a team's going to lose, and you can shake hands and say, "Hey, good game." We'll yes. try to get you next time. Yes, and you can have. There's that mutual respect in sports. Yeah, that as we well. seem to lost in a lot of the rest of the culture. <laughs> but then I, yeah, I say that, and then there's people who still like, "There's too much politics still in sports," and and then you talk about the money in sports that turns oh, people off. Yeah, you just talk about guys who get these humongous contracts now. Right. But I stay away from all of those kind of issues of it. It's just like, let's focus on what sports are supposed to be. Yes. But these are people that are trying to do their absolute best to to succeed and, and to win a goal, to win to win a game. And it's it's what we are. It's what we are in, in, in life and in faith. We do the best we can so that we can win the crown of the heavenly kingdom. Have you played in every priest versus seminarian game? Yes. From the beginning and you were always on the priest side. Yes. So I have a background story on this. I got to be vocation director, and Father Preston at the time was a seminarian. Uh-huh. And he comes to me and he says, hey, I got this great idea. Let's play a priest versus seminarian game. Mm. And I was looking around at the breast of the presbyterate. I'm like, and who are my teammates going to be? <laughs> it's like, we're going to get smoked, and I'm not interested in that. <laughs> but then he got ordained, him and his classmates, and Father Nicholas, and, and then those guys and the guys that we've uh-huh. had since. Uh, it, it offers a little bit more competitive now, but but in, in, in this past game, I mean, this is what I felt like would have happened if we'd have played the game when I was vocation director to start with. How tall are you? Six foot two. Six two. Okay. And, and are you one of the taller guys in the on the priest team? Yeah. Yeah. But the seminarians got a couple of giants. Oh, they're huge. Luke and Raymond are big guys. Yes, and the, and I noticed that during the game. You were probably one of the tallest guys, so you were you were down there, and they, they I mean, they had the height. Yeah. It was, I, I believe, it was pretty much you and Father Houston who were mm. who were kind of battling down there with those huge yeah. guys. That, that, yeah. And Father Robert Murphy, he's a he's mm. a big body too. But I don't know. It's a fun game, a fun event. <laughs> it it is. is so much fun uh, because I think what's great for people to see is that priests are people. Yes, we're, we're regular people too, and and hopefully this uh, this interview helps people see that as well. Mm-hmm. We're just regular guys. One thing I noticed that during the game was uh, how competitive it is. It was it was a lot more intense than I thought it would was be. Was that the first one you attended? It was the first one I attended in person. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. I've seen some footage of the previous ones, but this past game was the first one I saw up close. And I was I was up there by the announcers table. I was sitting there and. I was doing some courtside interviews and stuff, and you could see the action. You know, guys really banging into each other, and. Um, a few times you could see, okay, you know, they just contain themselves because you, you get a little frustrated. Somebody, you know, you, you look like you've got a, an open layup and then somebody hits you on accident or, you know, you bump into Wrong people. <laughs> and then you kind of see them, you're just containing themselves, you know. It, it, it must be hard, you know, towing that line between being very competitive and not going overboard. Yes. Getting... But it's such a fun event and such oh, a fun it, game. It is. Such it, a fun game. Such a fun event. And, and I hope it continues to grow every year. Oh, yes. And I mean, there more were people come. Several. Everybody who goes says, man, it's fun. You should go. And they bring a friend. Yeah. And the, like this, there were several buses full of parishioners just coming in. Like we're bringing so many people, you know, bring buses. And that's what happened. Yeah. It was a lot. I mean, I think it was pretty full. The, 
one of the security guys of, uh, at Rice, he said to me, he said, you know, this is the fullest I've seen this place. He said, this is out of any event that they've ever had there. He said, this, that, that was the most people that they had. So for the foreseen, you know, future, you, you'll still be playing. I want to play as long as I can. I love basketball. I love the game. I've been playing as, as long as I can remember. So, yeah, I, I love basketball. It, it, it's clear, though. Father Time is undefeated. <laughs> and I am not the same player that I used to be. Well, we got some. Uh, we've got uh, this this past year. Now we've got uh, Father Christopher. We've got Father Jacob. So the, a couple of guys from the other team are coming in. Yeah. But the problem is when guys get ordained <laughs> to priests, they're not as available to practice. That's true. When Father David Michael was a seminarian, he was awesome in his last game. And he struggled in his first year as a priest. As a priest. And it's hard to get the priests together to play and practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I saw the podcast you guys did before the game. Yeah. But that's true. I mean, the seminarians all live in the same place. So they can say, hey, let's after dinner, let's go play. Yes. And those priests, like six weeks out, we're like, hey, let's hold this date to practice, guys, and see if we can all get together. <laughs> and it's and just, half the guys will show up. It's just a few weeks after, maybe about a month or so after Holy Week. So that's like the busiest year for priests, yeah. uh, busiest week for priests. It's a couple yeah. of weeks. So, But it's always busy in parishes. And, and we're coming from all over. Our diocese is humongous. So to get all the guys together to just, let's priest, hey, let's come together and practice. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But that's a key. I mean, that's, and you saw it in the game when you watched it. It's like the seminarians had more, they were better able to execute their plan because they had more time together. Yes. And they were able to play as a team against other teams. They yep. went to a, they went to a tournament. They did pretty well until mm -hmm. I think they burned out in the last game. But I believe your coach said that that game was the first time you were all together. Yes. That's correct. But Let's, it's still a fun event. So uh, do you have any predictions for next year's game? Depends on how much we can get together practice. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I predict we're going to have a full house again. We're going to be busting the seams. Everybody's going to have a great time. And we're going to celebrate Catholicism and priesthood. When you were um, vocation director, did you think, oh, you know, this guy would make a great priest, but it'll be tough to play against him as a <laughs> at the priest versus seminarian game? <laughs> Did that thought ever enter your mind? No. No, it didn't. <laughs> no. It's a great event, though. It is a cool event. Oh, I had loads of fun. I can't wait till the next one. Oh, well, thank you so much for giving us your time. Let, My you pleasure. know, letting us come here to St. Martha's beautiful, beautiful church. Thank you. How many, how many families do you have here? Uh, about seven thousand four hundred families. That's huge. And then we have over twenty-three thousand names in our database here at the parish. Is it's that one of the biggest ones in it's probably top ten or fifteen in the diocese? I would think maybe even top five. Yeah, I don't know. I think Conroe's bigger than we are. Sacred Heart's bigger than we are. St. Elizabeth's bigger than we are. I think St. Anthony's is bigger than we are. St. Javiani's been big for a while. Mm, yes. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not real sure on where we stack up. In the, you, you don't talk to the other priests about that? We do, but it's so hard to tell with registrations of parishioners because people are registered to baptize their child and then we don't see them again for... Years and years, so until it's time for communion, and then or, how often we take those <laughs> roles out and say, "Well, let's take this person off because they haven't been here in ten years." Uh huh. I, I don't know. Oh, that, that I, is I don't know tough. how the numbers. I don't know how the numbers work. I, I, I mean, I do know we get five to six thousand people we give communion to a weekend here. Wow. So we get a lot of people come through our doors. A lot of people who are hungry for Jesus. Thank you so much, you know, for for being a witness and for you know for everything that you do, not just for Saint Martha, but for the you know for for our church in general. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I just want to say, too, anybody watching, listening, that we appreciate the prayers from the people of God. 
thank you for praying for priests as we can feel it. Uh, we've had some tough challenges over the last few years, but the prayers of the people of God, they lift us up and give us the strength that we need to be able to serve, to serve you and your needs. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for praying for us. Oh, definitely. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for what you do as well. Thanks for the ministry that you offer to give people a glimpse into the life of priests.